The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Imin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your host, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey everybody and welcome to the podcast. Alex, how are you brother? Good man, uh, good to be back. We uh, we missed a week there, but uh, given our track record, it's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, it's going to happen once in a while, folks. I mean, you know, Alex and I both have real lives and real jobs and it does happen. This one was on me. We uh, we had scheduled a podcast, and uh, at the last moment, I had something going on, and I had to uh, I had to cancel. And you know, we 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 a lot a time during the week, and sometimes when we can't make that one time, it it, it leads to be a problem. So yeah, finding uh, a secondary time is always difficult because it's like literally the only time I have during the week where I can record the podcast is the time that I record the podcast. And like right. outside of that, it gets super, super dodgy. And also these uh, these last couple of weeks, I've been unbelievably busy finishing up my my Chum Q book. So I'm, I I never revealed this to uh, the pod, our podcast listeners before, but um, uh, my Siunam Tao book came out about two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. And, uh, you know, people seem to like the book and I had somebody design the book for me. And it took a long time because, as you can imagine, a martial arts book it has so many design elements. You have the text, photos, captions, graphs, all this kind of stuff. It's it's not just like writing a novel, you know. If if you if you write a novel with text, it's just it's super easy to come up with that. Uh, but when you have a book that has you know pictures and diagrams and all sorts of stuff, it's a huge task. And it's like a 230 page book, and I'm gonna write one of those for each of the Wing Chun forms. So long story short. My Chum Q book was 95% finished. And the knucklehead who designed it didn't back up the file and had it on an external hard drive, which broke. And after putting hundreds of hours into that second book, 
it was completely destroyed and unsalvageable. Wow. And I never mentioned it, um, but it, it kind of broke my heart <laughs> because, um, I mean, I still had the text. I wrote the text on on Word on my uh, computer, but the the book, the Chumkey book, was literally ready to go, and the designer, who just didn't have enough foresight to do what a normal person would do, basically uh, totally destroyed the file. And so I was heartbroken because the hardest part of making a book like this is making the template. Once you make the template, you can actually, the next book is a lot easier because the template is done. So I was sitting here now, no longer with the template and with all those hours of the book gone. Right. So I made a new book. I made my movement book, which I gave you a copy of, which was a totally different format and was way easier to put together. But of course, the question was always, when's your Chumkey book coming out? When's your Buji book coming out? And I'm like, yeah, it'll come out. And meanwhile, I'm going like, I have to reinvent the wheel to do this thing. So I didn't tell anybody. Uh, but uh, last year I went back to school <laughs> in my busy schedule and I took an InDesign course, which is the program used to design these these intricate books. And I learned how to do InDesign my damn self. And uh, I practiced a little bit. I, I didn't have the confidence that I could recreate the book. And even though I learned the skills and two weeks ago, I told myself to stop being a whiny punk and make my damn chumkyu book from scratch. And two weeks ago, I started and I'm almost finished with it now. So I um, am able to design the book much faster than the designer was. And in my opinion, the new design is way slicker, way cooler. The book's going to be in color and I should have the thing go into print in two weeks. So um, a little pat on my own back for that. <laughs> but, wow, cool. um, yeah, normally, I mean, obviously, if I could get a designer to do it, it would be easier. But, you know, sometimes in life, you just got to do it yourself. And so I taught myself in design just for this. And I'm producing more books. And now I can do it much faster because I do it myself. So that's the hole that I've been in for the last two weeks as well. So, uh, well, that's so awesome, I, I, ho I, hope you, I hope you guys like it. I think the new design is way better than the old one. So. Well, that's cool. That's that's really cool. Good for yeah, you, and man. it, it was, was kind of weird, like you know, going go to a school and then learning with like a bunch of like people who are in their twenties learning design, so they can get a job at an ad agency. And they had this thing where we had to introduce. It was like a two day, you know, like eight right, hours a day right. intensive thing. And they had this thing where like everyone is introducing themselves and why they want to learn in design, and it's like. Oh, you know, because I want to work in advertising. Oh, and these are all twenty somethings. And it gets to me, and I'm like. I'm Alex Richter. I teach Kung Fu and I make Kung Fu books. And that's why I need to learn InDesign. <laughs> and it was like, wow, that's so cool. It's like, yeah, if you knew the story why I'm here, it's not that cool. But uh, yeah, so I, I just did it. I, I figured I I just get over my fear and, and uh, I it's so much easier than I thought it would be. And, and this is another thing like when people are afraid that they can't do something. I'm a kung fu guy. I'm not a tech guy. I'm not a. I'm not a designer, but I just. I just did it, and I mean, like, really, people need to stop putting these self-limiting beliefs on themselves because it's really nonsense. If you told me five years ago I would be doing using a, an advanced design program, I'd say you're crazy. But it's it is what it is, man. You do what you got to do, and we're capable of so much more than 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 we even try. You know. <laughs> That's awesome. I I don't know if I ever told the story on the podcast. I'm sure I have. I don't have that many stories. But many years ago, I think I'm sure I told this podcast this story once before, but 
Um, we get new listeners all the time. What well, many years ago, before I had the, uh, I had put out some Chikundo videotapes, and folks, there was something used to be something called videotapes that used to put into a video machine. <laughs> but I had put out these videotapes, and I, I was, I had this, I had people call me all the time to talk JKD. I've always been very open. Um, I'm always easy to find. My phone number is on my website. Like people can call me. I don't care. I, I love. You've given your you've given your phone number out on this show as right. well, which I just think is like crazy. Right. I mean, you know, it's like I I, I love talking kung fu. So if people want to call me, I'm cool with that. Just be polite. You know, and I'm I'm good with that. So I had this one guy calling me all the time. I would say once a week he would call me to talk, JKD. <clears throat> really nice guy, a gentleman, and we would talk, and I would answer all the questions that I could, and. We would chat back and forth, and and then one day he called me up and said, "I want to buy some videotapes. You know, whose videotapes do you like?" And I had made some uh, recommendations as to who I liked, and I, w- I wasn't negative at all about anybody. I just said this one, you know, I like this one more than that one, but it, I I didn't say why or anything. Mm-hmm. And then he said, "Well, do you have videotapes?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." He said, well, how many tapes do you have? I said, I have three. He goes, you have three? I said, yeah, one's on the, you know, Chikindo uh, Fundamentals. One's on trapping. And, and, you know, energy sensitivity and trapping. And one's on uh, JKD kickboxing. Wow. That's like the golden trifecta right there. And he was like, oh, my God. He's like, I didn't even knew this. He's like, how much are they? And I was like, they're $20 a tape, three for 50 and wow. he was like, well, I, I, I want to order them. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, we'll just, you know, this is back, mail me a check. So he's like, okay, I'll go to your address. And, and I hang up the phone. And my wife goes, what's going on? I said, I got to go film some fucking tapes. <laughs> <laughs> she said, what? I said, I just told this guy that I had Chikundo tapes. And she's like, well, why would you do that? I'm like, well, I've been thinking about making them, but this kind of like forces me. So that night I was, I had class scheduled. So the guys come in and I tell them, listen, this is what I did. And they were like, all right, let's figure it out. And like, that was like on a, like a Thursday or Friday. And that Saturday we went to a place and like hung a sheet on the wall to make it white in the back. Uh-huh. And... And, and and just filmed literally three, like, one-hour tapes in one afternoon. Wow. And then, like, I bought, like, I, we went, we bought, um, like, two or three VCRs. And I bought, like, blank tapes and covers. And and I, I was selling them so fast that my wife, we had to buy, like, oh, at some point she had, like, four a stack of like four or five VCRs and like one tape would feed into the other tape machines. <clears throat> and we were like, we were churning out. Oh, I don't know. Cause it was like three, there were three tapes for $50 and we were selling like eight, eight to 10 sets a week. Damn. I mean, they were like freaking churning and they sucked. And I was like, I used to feel bad. And I was like, man, they're not that good, you know, like, but people liked them. 
I don't know why, but uh, so funny. It really and they were like they were very successful. It was like they were very successful. Yeah, there's nothing like you know the promise of something you haven't even built yet to get you moving on a deadline. Right, right? exactly right. Right. <laughs> um, actually, I uh, on on my latest uh, uh, Chumky book, which is like the in a continuing series of these books, I actually took a. Um, a uh, page out of the book of uh, Matt Pauly. Uh, Matt Pauly, whom I had on the podcast, he was the one who did the most recent Bruce Lee Life biography for, I think it was Simon & Schuster, which is one of the best Bruce Lee biographies. And those of you out there, if you're a Bruce Lee fan and you want to know literally everything about Bruce Lee from cradle to grave, uh, you should definitely read uh, Matthew Pauly's Bruce Lee Life. And uh, also, I did a podcast interview with him right here on Dudes uh, last year. Unfortunately, the um, audio was a little bit echoey because we had to shoot it in inside my office at the school, which is not uh, isolated for sound, um, but it's otherwise a really solid interview. Anyway, uh, Matt Pauly's book has an entire section in the back, which is all like the end notes, you know, like all the additional notes from everything he wrote. And it's like a huge, it's like a multi hundred page book. I don't know, like four or five hundred pages or something. And the end notes are almost like an entire separate section of the book. They have so many of them. And in my first book, I wrote a bunch of end notes, but I put the end notes at the end of every chapter for that specific chapter. And what I decided to do was just like Matt Polly's book, put them all the way at the end. And then they're like DVD extras because it's like a new section. The end notes are totally interesting on their own because I go off script and rant and talk a bunch of nonsense back there. And you almost read it like kind of like a live commentary of my book where it's like me kind of unfiltered talking about the things I'm talking about in my book. And so I, uh, it's it's kind of like now like a, like the DVD extras of the book. And I, I thought uh, that was kind of a cool idea. And I totally, totally stole that idea from from Matthew Pauly. So I'm, I'm super excited. I hope, uh, I hope the readers of the book also find it, uh, you know, interesting as well. And by the way, in the new book, Sean, we have, uh, an ad for the dudes of Kung Fu podcast. I put in a plug for us in there. Oh, well, outstanding young man. Outstanding. Yeah. Yep. 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 So, uh, yeah. So, um, art martial clothing, right? We've, uh, we, uh, we talked about them last week or last podcast, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so far, from what I heard, the response has been positive, and uh, it's um, our martial clothing. It's the newest, hottest line. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I, I tried to make it professional, and Alex threw me right off because he's a punk. <laughs> I wanted to be professional about this. And he's he, professional. And he's a punk. <laughs> I just I just like to see I just like to see you sweat because it was a podcast listeners don't always realize that when we record the podcast we do it over Google Hangouts so I can literally see your face and I just love that moment of you choking for a brief second because I got to get back to you at you for all the times you do that to me (laughs) so I'm just like hey art martial clothing let's talk about that and just watch you go (laughs) you want to see me sweat you want to see me sweat I'm like I'm like I'm like I'm like a freaking thousand pounds getting out of a chair I sweat I mean come on but yeah all martial clothing they uh they're really cool I mean it's 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 absolutely um a really sharp thing going on we go we want to take a quick break here and talk about our new sponsor art martial clothing 
Yeah, Art Martial Clothing is one of the newest and hottest clothing lines for fans of Jeet Kune Do, Wing Chun, martial arts, and anyone who's a fan of badass streetwear. <laughs> well, my favorite is the Musashi. Everybody that knows me knows me. I love Miyamoto Musashi. And um, I love the comic book type cover of uh, Miyamoto Musashi. I definitely uh, want to get it in... They, they have it in like a poster for, um, format. And I, yeah, I think they also have, besides T-shirts, you can also get the princess artwork as well. Right. I, I want to get it, mat it, frame it, and hang yeah. it in my house because I love that thing. I love that thing. Yeah, and uh, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can go to artmarshallclothing.com and apply the discount code DOKF for 10% off your entire order right now. That's promo code DOKF in case you didn't understand Alex what is what is wishy-washy Queen's accent. You get 10% off your entire order right now. Uh, let's get back to the show. And no more cur- awesome. no more curveballs out of you. <laughs> hey, you know it's really funny like uh, uh you know uh, YouTube is like when when you look for certain videos on YouTube then YouTube starts suggesting like a whole bunch of videos in the whatever genre you've been looking up or whatever. And like I went down this like Chris Farley hole last week where it was like giving me lots of Chris Farley videos and and like some of his skits and interviews and stuff like that. And speaking of throwing people off, uh, Chris Farley, like, you know, towards the end of his SNL career, he started to make movies like Tommy Boy and all that kind of stuff. And um, there was one episode of SNL where he only had one skit. And in that one skit, he only had one line. And he had to fly all the way from Los Angeles to New York, literally just to be in one skit and deliver one line. And he was kind of salty and pissed off. So he decided that if he's only going to deliver one line in the entire episode, uh, he's going to like really bring it. And it's in the famous... I don't know if you remember the Pepper Boy skit where like Adam Sandler's with Dana Carvey and he's learning how much pepper to put on the Italian food. Like, it's really funny. It's like, oh, you want some pepper and you put the pepper and all this kind of stuff. And Chris Farley is one of the customers and he has got one line and the line is something like, wow, that is a perfect amount of pepper. But he was so pissed off that he had to fly to New York for this. When he had to do it, he literally screams the line at Adam Sandler and looks at him like, that's the perfect amount of pepper. And like just Adam Sandler literally lost it. (laughs) And those kind of moments when they're like unscripted, they're not supposed to happen. I always find and even when they're kind of awkward, like I just kind of live for the awkwardness. I think those moments are really great. Yeah. Well, Martha, did you watch the uh, live it was last night. It was live. Um, all remake of All in the Family and the Jeffersons. No, I saw the commercial for that, and I really wanted to see it. I saw some it was clips of it. Awesome. I heard it, it was, was good. Yeah, awesome. And um, I forget who it was that played uh, Mr. Jefferson, but he had a moment. Oh, I think it was Jamie Fox. Jamie Fox. He screwed up at one point. And he just turned around to the camera and goes, eh, "It's live. Let's do it over." Like <laughs> and it was pretty funny. Well, that's how you can tell the pros from the amateurs. Like the lot, the the guys who've done it, even if they mess up, they're like, ah, what you know, it right, is what it right. is. Or they figure out something. Yeah, I saw that clip too, and uh, yeah, it takes a tremendous amount of experience to. Uh, it was fantastic. I know it's not kung fu related, but man, it was fantastic. Yeah. So um, we uh, in recent episodes we've been taking kind of uh, mottos or kunkut or samfad or whatever people want to call them and discussing them in a little bit of depth. And you. Um, 
you had a suggestion for uh, for tonight's uh, motto. Yes, but honestly, just two seconds before we do that, Alex. Yeah, we have a young fan who loves the show. And really, how uh, we have we have we have young people who listen to us. Yeah, it's kind of scary <laughs> when I heard that this young man likes the show. The first thing I thought of as a parent, God, I curse too much for this young man that likes the show. But he's yes. he's six years old, and his uh, dad is a big fan of the show. And he's a martial artist, and he posted pictures of the young man working out on the a heavy bag. He's six years old, banging on a heavy bag, doing a great job, making everybody proud. And uh, I said, I said, you know, I want to give the kid a shout out for, on the show because he listens to the podcast. I mean, he's a six year old listens to the podcast. Wow, that's crazy. You know what I mean? So his name is Cruz Hagen, Cruz the Hulk Hagen. Awesome. And we, Cruz. <laughs> so Alex and I want to give Cruz a big shout out and. Say good job, man, and just keep on banging on heavy bag. That's awesome. That's like a superhero named Cruz. I know. I like, I, I like that. It's, it's cool. You can tell the kids got to grow up be a cool kid. Yeah, I'm so, it's surprising that anyone. You know, I, I get kind of thrown off because people will tell me. Obviously, a lot of my students listen to the podcast, and Wing Chun people that I come into contact with, uh, you know, obviously have listened to it as well. But sometimes, just like people who are general kung fu fans, like people who are fans of uh, kung fu films. They'll they'll tell me that they listen to the podcast and I'll be like, oh, so but you don't do Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do. I'm, I'm kind of like it always blows me away. Like when people who are not particularly Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do people listen to the podcast, because I'm like, it is called Dudes of Kung Fu. But we're definitely leaning towards the Wing Chun and JKD persuasion end of things. I mean, I do occasionally talk about other styles and Kung Fu movies and stuff like that. But like uh, I I always assumed that our podcast had a lot more kind of niche appeal rather than broad like i mean we don't have mass broad appeal but i think our appeal is slightly broader than we think it is sometimes and maybe that's just because people like to hear your weird staten island accent i don't know what it is first of all it's a brooklyn accent all right mother? no you've been you've been living in staten island long enough i think you are a, a naturalized citizen of staten island <laughs> they give you the accent standard issue you know, it's like if I was going to list the things I hate about you, I normally would start with your hair, but now it's what you just said. <laughs> okay, Kunkut. Kunkut, yes. Kunkut. Um, others walk the bow, I walk the string. Yes. I've always been fascinated by that, by that Kunkut. Um, I would be lying if I said I understood it mm-hmm. with any kind of depth. Um, I've had some explanations of it that mm-hmm. make sense to me on some level. Right. Um, I don't know how comfortable I am with them yet. Mm-hmm. I've only been thinking about them for years, so of course I don't. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's interesting. I think we have to think about also the time frame from when these kinkits, I, I don't know how to say it, these maxims, came to be yeah so yeah, you i can also call them some fat some fat is easier to pronounce than kun kut i some fat yeah I, I i don't know what a bow looked like when these things came to <laughs> well you know it's the, the 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 basic functions of a bow haven't changed but how they right. go about it definitely have right and um i've heard the the general explanation i've always heard of this was that the bow is curved, the string yes. is straight. Yes. So that in Wing Chun, we do with the string, 
and in, 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 in other arts, they follow the bow, and right. it's curved. Right. And, and that was the explanation that I had always heard for it and always mm-hmm. accepted. Right. When I asked my teacher about it, he had a he had a, he had a different perspective on it, and I quite frankly don't know if he got this from Moyat or not. Mm-hmm. He said to me, "This is what it means to me." And but, but again, I I don't remember asking him if he got it from Moyat or not, or if it was just from his head. He said, "When you shoot a bow and arrow, an old style bow like that." the gross motor movements happen at the extended arm of the bow. That when you stick your arm out, it's kind of like you point it to where you want to go to with the bow. Mm-hmm. And it's at the, the, the fine motor skills happen at the string where you make tiny little adjustments mm-hmm. to zero in the arrow. Right. That that he looks at the bow and the string as the definition of working on placing an emphasis on the gross motor movements versus the fine motor movements. Okay. And whether that's what it should be or not, I respected that mm-hmm. because it made sense to me. Sure. But I, I don't know um, anything further than that or any other explanations of that of that maxim mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah well actually uh that that's the first time i ever heard uh, that interpretation of it usually the the model which is yan han gong ngo han ying or actually it could be ngo han yin yeah no no it, it's people people walk the bow i walk the string yeah so it goes that way and it's very common and usually even among I mean, most of the Chinese Wing Chun masters you will talk to, they usually translate it in the more simple version that you initially uh, used to describe it. That, you know, the the other style, so to speak, kind of use a curved line. And in Wing Chun, we use a straight line. So in other words, it's it's a super simple, somewhat poetic way of saying we we prefer the direct straight line over the round attack. Right. Um, however, you know what uh, um, what your Sivu Tom Kagan said. Um, I don't know if it applies to this particular motto, but definitely the kind of comparing gross motor movements versus fine motor movements, training in super fine motor movements to make gross motor movements feel easier. What I mean, there's definitely something there in terms of body mechanic movement. I don't know if the Chinese interpret that particular motto that way, but I definitely like that kind of talking about the difference between fine and gross motor movements. Um, most of the Chinese in my uh, uh, experience tend to translate it in a, in the very simple kind of, you know, we go straight, the others go on a curve. Now it's normally, unfortunately, like if you spend a lot of time hanging out with very traditional Kung Fu masters, it's normally said with a little bit of disdain towards the other martial arts. Like, look how stupid those other styles are that are using a curve punch, and here's our magical straight punch, which will solve everything, right? Not realizing, of course, that if you don't launch your straight punch in the right time, that curve punch can still land on your face faster, right? So, you know, this kind of... um, It's a bit reductionist and a bit of an oversimplification that, you know, all of your fighting ills 
can be solved simply by punching on a straight line, right? Um, and so it's usually done as a diss to the other martial arts styles, namely the ones that use rounded attacks. And it's the motto is actually not complete. Um, oh, okay. The way it's for, the way it's formulated by most Wing Chun people, which is Yan Hang. Yan, yan is people. Hang is to walk. Gong is the bow, the curve, right? Ngo, mi, hang, yin. I walk the string. It literally, mean, it literally means walk. That's why I'm not sure if if uh, talking about, you know, like the front of the bow and the back right, of the bow, right, whatever's right. thing. It, the Chinese, it literally means others walk on the bow. I walk on the string, right? right. So... Um, the problem is there's a glaring error with this motto in that simplified idea. What happens if the other guy walks the string? And so when you tell this to most Wing Chun people, literally their brain will melt and they will almost like they'll stop for a moment and, and be like, and they don't have an answer. But the answer is quite simple. The complete motto is others walk the bow. I walk the string. When others walk the string, I walk the bow. You cannot use the same tactic as your opponent, right? And think about it. When we turn or shift in Wing Chun to avoid an oncoming strike, we are actually using a curve movement with our body to deliver the straight line punch. So against a straight line, we use a curve. And against a curve, we use the straight line. It's not just one. And oh, it's, often it's often interpreted to, to mean only one way because Wing Chun people want to basically trash anyone who uses a curve line thinking about a curve punch, not realizing that a curve or nonlinear tactic doesn't have to just simply be a swinging wild punch. It can also be a shift with your body. And then, you no even if you deliver a straight punch with a shift, it's no longer truly straight. So um, the complete model really should actually have both of those sayings kind of juxtaposed so basically others walk the bow i walk the string when others walk the string i walk the bow and that would actually make it complete and it would also be in line with many of the other wing chun models which kind of have like if someone does this i do this but if they do that i do the opposite so that's actually a very common structure in wing chun it just seems that for this model they clipped the second half off so um that's kind oh, yeah, of my no, take that, on that. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and and if if you talk to Wing Chun people who who first of all, uh, as many people, I'm not a, usually a huge fan of Wing Chun people. I find them generally kind of uninteresting because normally they're just going to kind of tell you in how many words how great they're in not so many words how great their lineage or whatever is without trying to like make it super overt but you just you feel it in the subtext of everything they say and it's super tiring and so that's why i much prefer talking to jeet kendo practitioners hongkun practitioners um because wing chun people will say stuff like to uh, a a choi lei fut guy like well you walk the bow i walk the string therefore you know as if that's some kind of like mic drop that's gonna totally obliterate the other guy's martial art practice right and I always love to see these little mini meltdowns by Wing Chun people when I go, when they say that to me and I go, ah, what happens when the other guy walks the string? Right, 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 right. <laughs> and then they just kind of like, like stop for a moment. And they're like, uh, uh, but uh, 
it's kind of like in Austin Powers when the fembots blow up after they see Austin Powers in his underwear. Like they just cannot handle it, right? So, and it's funny. It's super simple. It's like, well, you you have to follow a different tactic. In in um, I mentioned this a few episodes ago. We were talking about Buji. There is a saying in the Buji which is um, use vertical to destroy horizontal and horizontal to destroy vertical. And and again, it's about not trying to clash by using the same tactic as your opponent, right? Why the Buji, which goes out on a horizontal line, defeats the vertical straight punch, right? So, uh, you know, and, and, and vice versa, right? Why uh, and, and people don't think about this. They always want, like, a super simplistic reductionist statement that's going to answer everything. But fighting, like any kind of living, breathing thing, is a lot more complex than people want it to be. They want to have these like simple platitudes, like if I just put it on the wall, I will have solved everything, right? And and while I, f- I do find this motto very profound, I find it being misused as kind of a way to just kind of dump on people who might use a round punch in their style, right? right. As if we don't have round punches in Wing Chun as well. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of um, that's kind of my take on that. I don't know, what do you, uh, what do you think about that? Well, since I, I, I had never heard, I have never heard, the second part of that statement before. Right. And once you said it, I was like, well, like penny drop, that makes sense perfectly. Right. Um, I, I mean, of course I've heard it now 30 seconds ago, but I completely agree with it. It's, mm-hmm. it just makes sense, you know? Um, and I know there are Wing Chun people that are going to say, well, we don't have circular motions, but they're stupid. So we shouldn't have to worry about that. Yeah, it's kind of absurd. You know, um, but w- once you said it, I was like, oh, of course, it makes perfect sense. But I'd be lying if I said I would have thought of that. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I would have never thought of it. And But I'm glad you said it because it, uh, it just flat out seems reasonable. You know, you know I uh, uh, and, and I also have to admit, I didn't um, I didn't think of that either. Uh, you know, I, I had learned the motto a long time ago, you know, at the very early on in my career. And used it as an interpretation of, okay, well, other other people throw stupid wild round punches and we throw these perfectly manicured, straight, fast, efficient, you know, just destroyers of everything down down the center line. And um, I remember a long time ago, it was, a, I think, even before social media it was back in the days of the old internet forums right which were like sure which which were some of the most corrosive places to be online i mean just like dripping cemeteries of anger and disgust and most of that stuff has now become youtube comments but back in the day you you actually had to go to like a special website to like sign up for this kind of abuse right and so um i remember somebody very proudly boasted on a wing chun forum this motto, like wrote it in Chinese, was very proud of it. And some random commenter said, what happens when the other guy walks the string? And I remember just reading that. I have no idea who the hell wrote it. It was like a total rando. Right, right, right. And I read it and I was like, huh. You know, like sometimes <laughs> sometimes there is a gem in a steaming pile of excrement, right? Right, right, right. And so, and so I thought about it, and then later through my training and then also with my conversations with, uh, with my Sigong, with Sifu Leung Ting, um, then it was made clear to me that, yeah, well, obviously, if the other person's coming straight down the line, you have to take a more circuitous, circular route. So actually, the motto is only half correct. And I remember, you know, I basically came up, like, I was stumped on it by a comment maybe 
16, 17 years ago online and then later use that as a springboard to actually have a better discussion with my Seagong about it and then find out about it. So, yeah, that that's brilliant. I, uh, I, God, man, I cannot believe after all these years that this is the first time I'm hearing that. That's <laughs> uh, really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not a Wing Chun man like you're a Wing Chun man, but I'm, you know, I'm fully invested in Wing Chun and sure. For for me to not know, like for these, say I never even heard of that, is you know surprising to me. But I've never heard that before, and it makes absolute total sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think because I uh, I spend a lot of time reading like uh, books on rhetoric and logic and argumentation and stuff that I I always look for like when somebody says something is true. I always think, okay, well, what is the opposite of this? Or what is the thing that would disprove it? Like for me, we talked to, uh, it was either last episode or a few episodes ago about how sometimes martial art instructors, Wing Chun instructors in particular, when they want to show how bad the other Wing Chun guys are, they'll always show a dumbed down version of what they're, right, what the right. other guys do, right? And then we call that a straw man argument versus like actually trying to come up with the most bulletproof version of what somebody else does being a steel man argument. And for me, I'm always about that. It's like, I want to know the best version of what the opposing theory to mine is. Because only if you understand the counters to your own argument could you really ever really understand your own argument anyway. So anytime I hear something like others walk the bow, I walk the string. Now, I would always think like, well, what's the opposite of that? And the opposite of that would be what happens when the other person walks a string. So it's actually a pattern now that I apply to all of these things. When I look at the Kuhn Kuter models or whatever, I go, where's the crack in this? How, how would you count? Like if, if I'm trying to counter a Wing Chun person on their logic, I'm being the, the boxer wrestler guy who hates Wing Chun uh, or the Choi Le Fut guy who hates Wing Chun. How would I tell the Wing Chun guy he's full of shit? And I basically try to have an argument with myself and try to disprove my own theory so that I can un like f see if I can fully understand it or understand it better or find out if the theory is in fact bullshit. So that's kind of how I look at things and this is also the how I write my books these days. So Okay, I just find this on a personal level so funny because yeah. one of the things you remind me of Tom Kagan in some ways uh -huh. in, that, in that you kind of both hate Wing Chun people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wing Chun people, self-hating Wing Chun people. <laughs> I, I'll never forget, and this is, it's got to be almost 20 years ago, oh, 15 years ago. I um, I had said to Tom, my seafood, like, um, what's the best way to beat a Wing Chun person? And he looked at me, and he, in all seriousness, he said, he goes, Unplug his them. computer. <laughs> Fight them. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, most can't fight. Just fight them. He goes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> he goes, yeah, most can't fight. Most Wing Chun people have no idea how to fight. Just fight them. You, you'll beat them. That's all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, there's a, you know, we, we've discussed it before. There's there's weird cultural attitudes in Chinese martial arts and, and in Wing Chun as well that kind of make it more of a culture of like collecting moves and techniques and the forms and this and that. And there are other Wing Chun schools that are, you know, opposite they're they're you know combat based or whatever and then there are schools that find some kind of happy medium. But yeah, for the most part, um, I find Wing Chun people insufferable. 
um, in like if you look at it like a scale, all right, from like you know like an MMA, like a street fighter, MMA fighter, a boxer, like people who have like regular experience in the ring, to like you know maybe people who do. Uh, sport jiu-jitsu or competitive point karate all the way down to like people who literally do not practice with somebody who's trying to hurt them at all and when you look at like the scale of these things on a grade like like if you look at it on a gradient like in Chinese martial arts um, I always find that you know you have like sanda or kickboxing uh, like Chinese kickboxing people at the top of that list the people who are actually going out and fighting with it and also the better wing chun people who actually have some fight experience and kind of know what they're talking about and at the bottom of the list you have the people who really believe in all sorts of like hocus pocus magic right. and oh my sifu can do this and and um you know uh, uh I was just I just recalled a story uh to one of my students the other day um that I, I got really angry at a Tai Chi guy who rented my space once. Now, he hasn't – he just rented my space once. I have regular Tai Chi renters at my school, um, but this is not one of those guys. Uh, this is just somebody who, like, wanted to rent my school for, like, you know, a seminar, and he's, like – he's some, you know, out-of-shape, goofy-ass white dude with, like, big gut. And, oh, like, leave you me know... out of this. <laughs> but the thing is, this guy, like – He's got like the kind of the Donald Trump comb over and he and he's got like like the Dorito stains on his shirt. He's got like everything you're looking at this guy where you're just going like like you wouldn't think martial artist when you right, see this right, guy, right. right? And he comes in and he's telling me like he rents the space for me. He's telling me how great his master is in China. He can, you know, if he puts his uh, index finger on your chest, you can't push forward. He can like push you back and he can he can just put his hand on you and you can't even move and like all this kind of stuff. Right. And I'm like, great. And in my mind, I'm always thinking like if all of these things are true. All right. First of all, why isn't the military learning all of this stuff? Right, because right, It seems right. like it would be really great. Why aren't the police learning all this stuff? Seems like it'll be really great. But also the thing I always notice about all these guys, besides the fact that they all have Dorito stains on their polo shirts and really wicked comb overs, um, is that it's always that their teacher can do it, but they can't, but they can't, you know? And I always go like, look, certainly some of my teachers have abilities that I have not achieved yet, but I like to think that if someone wants to see what I can do, I can demonstrate it. I can show it. I can give good explanations. And if they throw a punch at me, I can competently do something against a punch. Right. But these guys are always like, Oh, my teacher, this, and this is, and I'm always thinking like, but if you're teaching, I assume that you also can do some of these skills too, right? So anyway, this guy's going on and on and on and on about how great his teacher is, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, just, you know, give me the rental fee and teacher class and get out of my face and my mind, right? And then he's talking to one of the students who comes in there. And he starts telling this guy how great his teacher is and how he could beat up all these guys. And he goes, you know... Because this is a real martial art where you develop your... And I don't know if it was Tai Chi or another... So yeah. I don't mean to give Tai Chi people a bad rap. It could have been another internal martial art, a Pakwa, right. one of those things. A lot of those guys do a lot of those mixed up anyway. So anyway, he goes... Um, because my Sifu is a real master of Kung Fu. And I wonder if he was saying that kind of loudly to make me hear it, which is kind of funny. It's like, yo, bro, you're renting my school and you're saying your master is a real master of Kung Fu and I'm right here and this is my school. Like, are you saying, like, I don't teach real Kung Fu? Like, it's like, you little passive-aggressive punk, right? But I'm not saying anything because I actually don't really care. I just All think right. it's really, like, it's very high school and I'm like, ugh, whatever, right? So 
he says, yeah, my Sivu, you know, before he even learned his first form, he had to develop all of his internal chi. And, you know, like in a real martial art, they don't do that anymore. Not like a bullshit martial art, like boxing. He said that. Oh, my God. And like, and, and, and first of all, like, yeah, we've discussed it before. We are both big fans of boxing. I love boxing. I'm also half Cuban, so boxing is, like, in my blood. Right. And, like, and I, I, I think boxing is fantastic. I practice boxing once a week on the heavy bag. You know, like, in between my Wing Chun workouts, I still keep my boxing skills up. And I just hear this, and I go, look, and we've discussed it before. I mean, we're beating a dead horse. Look, if there's anybody who knows how to punch, take a punch, and avoid a punch, it's a boxer, right. okay? And they learn it pretty quickly. And so I, I've i never seen some internal martial arts master go and own a boxer who is who is halfway decent, meaning somebody who had even three months of instruction, right? So he says this, and I'm just like, and then I just had it. It's like he can insult other kung fu he can even so wing chun but then he goes boxing and i go excuse me i go did you just say boxing is not a real martial art i go i'm pretty sure most boxers um don't have a very high opinion of what you do for good reason and they know how to punch they know how to defend a punch and first of all they also know how to hit and take a hit something that most traditional martial arts don't do and i go do you think if you had somebody in this room right now who had as much boxing experience as you had in your Tai Chi or whatever, are you absolutely sure you'd be able to stop that person from harming you? And he looked at me with like where I didn't challenge him, but I said something where he obviously knew that somebody who did 10 years of boxing would do totally flatline. Right, right? Right, right. And I just looked at him. I said, look, you can, you can teach your martial art here while you're using my space, but just do me a favor. Don't disrespect you know, other martial arts and don't disrespect boxing in my school. I go, because I'll grab a pair of boxing gloves and I'll show you that you need to respect boxing. Right. And then he was like, never rented my space again. But I was just like, you know, I saw him one other time after he pretended not to see me. Maybe he's afraid I had a pair of boxing gloves in my bag, (laughs) but I just go like, you know, I mean, this is, this is something that only somebody with no fight experience would say because even, even if you had had a few street fights and let's say you fought successfully, even in some competition, what MMA fighter would say, Oh, boxing is a bunch of bullshit. Right. You know, like, I mean, they would respect it for what it is and know how real it is. And it's like anybody with a modicum of fighting experience or martial arts experience would never say that. It's just these people who are like living in a fantasy world and Wing Chun people. There's a segment of the Wing Chun community, which also kind of lives in that world of that guy a little bit. And obviously there's a segment of the Wing Chun community that doesn't, there's a more realistic segment, but there's a huge segment that li- that it's basically has the same exact attitude as Dorito stain comb over guy. And, um, and, and so those are the people that unfortunately represent Wing Chun mostly like in Instagram and stuff and why it gets kind of a bad rap and why I have to kind of roll my eyes. And when people say, yeah, Wing Chun is a bunch of BS. I go, yeah, you're totally right. Because I'm talking about what I see mostly online, not necessarily what I do or what other better Wing Chun Sifus do, I hope. But in general, I mean, yeah, these people are still living in that kind of Dorito stain comb over like my Sifu can beat up your Sifu. I can't do it, but my Sifu can do it, which also kind of like allows me to like say a bunch to have a bunch of claims that I don't need to back up because, well, my Sifu can do it. He's also conveniently not here. Right. You know, so that's the stuff that's always tiring. Yeah. You know, Matt Thornton has said to, said to me a long time ago that um, if you're if you've been training with a guy 
long enough that you're a teacher under him or you're an established martial artist under him. You're training with a teacher for, you know, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then you say, oh, yeah, I can't touch the guy. Then he's not teaching you. Right. You know what I mean? It's just not real. If it's if, if after ten years worth of training, you can't touch your teacher, right? Your teacher's not touching is not teaching you. Sure, sure, keeping you dumb and hungry. Right. It's just it's right. just ridiculous. Or worse than that, worse than keeping you dumb and dumb and hungry, which that's probably a lot of the case. It's it's not a martial art. It's cult. Right. It's you know fantasy based shit. It's you know. No touch, death touch, and that that kind of crap. I love the no touch, death touch. By the way, hey, listen, that that was like my sex life all through high school. <laughs> Fist of fear, touch of death. Right. <laughs> I had that T-shirt. <laughs> Do you, wait. By the way, like I, I, I'm pretty sure we discussed this like in a very early season. But do you remember that movie? Um, it, I think it was called Fist of Fear, Touch of Death. And it was like a documentary where they went to Madison Square Garden. It was like shot in the 70s. And they were trying to find the successor to Bruce Lee. And the thing was produced by Aaron Banks, who's kind of like a notorious self-promoter. Wow. Karate guy who passed away a few years ago here in New York. And he did. And this, of course, I think it came out maybe in the late 70s, early <coughs> 80s. And he had a doctored fake interview with Bruce Lee. Oh my God. Do you remember this? I don't remember so, this, no. Okay, so uh, for our listeners to the podcast who don't know this gem, uh, when you finish uh, listening to this podcast, I want you to go to YouTube and I want you to, to type in Aaron Banks interviews Bruce Lee, okay? And this was a documentary where basically it was a karate tournament in uh, Madison Square Garden. And actually my good friend Ron Van Cleef is in there. They interview him. They're like, so, Ron, how do you think Bruce Lee died? It was like still when the topic of how Bruce Lee died was still like a big mystery. And 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 basically they it was a, karate, a full contact karate tournament in Madison Square Garden. And Aaron Banks kind of played it up to be like whoever won the tournament would be the new Bruce Lee, which is like totally ridiculous. Right. And so it's kind of a documentary about this thing. And then they interview some kind of quasi martial arts celebrities. And then they. Aaron Banks gets interviewed conveniently in his own documentary by somebody off screen. Well, Mr. Banks, how do you think Bruce Lee died? Well, I think Bruce Lee died, you know, from somebody gave him the death touch. Right. And then he goes, I actually talked to Bruce Lee shortly before his death about this topic. And then it cuts to like Aaron Banks. Now, I haven't seen it in a while. So those of you, if you watch it, my recollection of the like exact details may be a little off. It's been years since I watched it. I just know that it's on YouTube. And Aaron is like has the camera in his face and he's like, well, Bruce, um, have you learned the death touch or something like that? And then it cuts to Bruce Lee talking from Longstreet, that episode of Longstreet that he did. Oh, my God. And they got someone to dub his voice who doesn't sound the least bit like Bruce Lee. Like, well, Aaron, you're also a great martial artist, too. And, yes, I like to think I can do the death touch or something like that, right? And it is, like, not even remotely real. You can tell this is a guy speaking to a fake clip that's overdubbed. But for some reason in the 70s, this guy was able to promote that video and not absolutely lose his reputation. It's just totally beyond me. 
Um, and I know that Aaron Banks is very well respected among a lot of old school martial art practitioners, but like from some of the stuff I've seen, I mean, he always kind of looked like a little bit of a huckster, but anyway, go in on YouTube and watch Aaron Banks interviews, Bruce Lee. And all I can say is you're welcome. Entertainments will be abound by watching that one. It's absolutely insane. Oh my God. Did you just put it on? Oh my God. That's just awesome. Complimenting each other. Play it, play it. That's quite a script. You really accomplished a lot. Thank you, but I don't think so. You've done more in a few years than most men have done. This is Bruce Lee talking, by the way. No, Aaron, it's you who've done a lot. God, this is so cheesy. It's amazing. It's it, it's like it's so embarrassingly unwatchable. You cannot stop watching it. Okay, so, so the thing you yeah, have to go, you have, go on. the search you have to put in is Aaron Banks and Bruce Lee super buddies. <laughs> yeah, that's right, super buddies. That's what it's called on you. It's unbelievable. Like the fact, and, and you have to imagine this is a video that was uh, widely circulated. I mean, when I was a teenager. I remember going to the video store and that Fist of Fear Touch of Death video was in the martial arts section. I remember renting it and watching that and going like, oh, my God, this guy faked an interview with. I mean, as a teenager, I knew the damn thing was fake. That's right? epic. And so but and now you watch it, especially now that we're, you know, a lot more media and video savvy in this in this age. And you just go like, how the hell did this guy get away with this? Uh, the fa- if he had done something like that now, he would have been outed on Twitter. His his entire career would have been over for being a fraud. But somehow, in the seventies and eighties, you were able to get away with this kind of nonsense. It was just unbelievable. So as a um, kid, as a kid, I used to take place. I used to take part in all the Aaron Banks tournaments. Yes, yeah, it was a big thing. I mean, in New, New York, York it was though, huge. He had a tournament. What was called like the Oriental World of Self Defense or something like that. Yeah. It was like a huge tournament. Yeah. Now I, I know we, I know, we were at Madison Square Garden once or twice, but I remember it at the Manhattan Civic Center, mm. which was where. Well, he probably he probably got it at Madison Square Garden like in the seventies when kung fu and martial arts was so big. But I can't imagine he was able to sustain that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they had to move to smaller venues. And I think he had a tournament like almost every year, even until like his later years, he was like pretty prolific. Yeah. I mean, and this would have to be in, in the late seventies, set late seventies, very, very early eighties, yeah, probably late seventies. And, um, we would go to Manhattan civic center. And uh, I always took part in the Iron Banks tournament. That was wow. What uh, what did you compete in? Like, well, you did like we, the, we used to like, always do, used to do the three things. Used to do uh, sparring, forms, and weapons. So like you know, I always did. Um, of course, you know, you do Dunchuck or jeez, uh, oh, I used to used to, I used to love the weaponry. So wow. And I, I you know I trained in a I trained in a Taekwondo school. 
that of uh-huh. course had all these like Okinawan weaponry in it. You know? well, it was the seventies and eighties. Right. It was all it was all chop suey back in those days. And it was like you know the worst like um, pole forms in the world. You know we learned all these awesome. That's funny. But it was, it was uh, just you don't, and you don't by, you don't by any chance have any videos of that stuff. Do I you? don't actually have pictures though. Wow, I would love to see that stuff. I love like uh, I love old vintage martial arts stuff. I can look at that stuff for days. I, I have a. Um, Oh, you know what I have? I do have video of one thing. Oh, I don't know if I'm brave enough to show this. I uh-huh. I actually have video of me from like the Aaron Banks tournament era uh-huh. doing a sci form. Oh wow, I would love to see that. Yeah, I had learned I remember like really like loving uh sides. And I I used to always, you know, use the side because it was it, everybody did nunchuck, every everybody did pole. Sure, sure. And size were a little bit different, you know what I mean? Yeah, so a little exotic. Right. So I used to like to do the size and uh yeah, God, I gotta I gotta pull that video out and embarrass myself. That is so funny. Speaking of size, when I uh when I visited uh Chan Chi Man, uh was either on the last trip or the other trip, you know, his apartment has like he's got a Gusang wooden dummy in his bedroom, which right. is like <laughs> of course, right? He has in his living room, he has a wall bag. He has lock use long pole. He has like three or four sets of bacham do. And he had a pair of Japanese sai. And this is all like in his living room. Like it's chop right. and photos of him with Yip Man and all his all his like kind of uh, mementos from teaching martial arts. So it's kind of like a lot like my room. But like, you know, he's an 80 something year old man. And I, I asked him, I said, like, uh, you know, Chan Zivu, like, why do you have those like size in there? And he just goes, I don't know. I just really like them. And he like, and he picks them up and he starts like flipping them around right. and just using them. And he goes, I just always thought these were kind of fun. And like, so he lit like, and what's interesting is this like an 83 year old man who's like, why do you have those things? I don't know. They're just kind of cool. You know, right. and like, and it has nothing to do with Wing Chun or like his martial arts per se, but he like picks them up and he says, flip them around. And he's like, yeah, I just think they're kind of fun. And so uh, I just I thought it was kind of funny, like he that uh, you know to have that kind of childlike enthusiasm still into your eighties is is probably one of the secrets of longevity. Oh, absolutely, uh, for sure. Uh, the the other big weapon we used to work on was the tanfa. Oh, nice, the, nice. Sai and tanfa, which was uh, man, this is bringing us some awesome memories. Like I remember when um, the the instructor would see someone like twirling the nunchucks like Bruce Lee on mm-hmm. the floor. He would inevitably walk up to them, especially if like he didn't recognize them or thought they were like new. He would say, "Wow, you're really good. Show me how you hit the heavy bag with them." <laughs> and you know, this is like 1978 or something. Sure. And you know, so everybody just spun them like Bruce Lee, but no, yeah, of course. no one ever hit anything with the fucking things, right? Because you'd get killed. Right. Sure. And they would go and they would they be spinning the chucks, and then they'd hit the heavy bag. And then and the Chuck would slap back and crack him in the arm. Oh yeah, head. of course, of course. If anyone has ever like actually tried to use nunchucks on a heavy bag, I mean, uh, there are a couple techniques you can get away with. Like, I mean, you can make it an effective weapon if you stop spinning the thing around like a maniac, but it's not easy because kind of when you hit it, it kind of goes all off the rails. It's kind of it goes like loses a little bit of control, and you don't have the same kind of recoil you have like with an Eskrima or a Kali stick. And so it, they're not like quite the 
the awesome weapon that they're kind of promised in the films. They're they're kind of like you really need to be super skillful to be able to use that. Oh yeah. Oh man, this is so much fun. I still and you love know, those um, days. For uh for Kung Fu movie fans, if you like weapons, so I'm I'm a huge I love Chinese weapons, but I also love Japanese weapons too. And when they're done well in choreography and films, I think there's nothing more entertaining. Um, there are a couple uh, movies I want to recommend uh, in terms of weapons fighting, which are, in my opinion, the best. And I just saw that uh, Amazon Prime has one of them. Um, uh, Amazon Prime, you know, I'm, I'm a Kung Fu movie snob, so I always like to watch <laughs> these things in Cantonese with subtitles. And sometimes they have them in Cantonese and sometimes they have them in dubbed English, which I always find them kind of hard to watch them in English. But anyway... If you go on Amazon Prime, they have a movie called The Odd Couple. Now, it's not The Odd Couple, uh, the I comedy was show. just <laughs> going to the say, movie. is this the movie <laughs> where it's a Japanese girl marries a Chinese man? No, 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 no. That's another movie, and I'm going to recommend that one as well. So <laughs> The Odd Couple is actually a Sammo Hung film, and he stars uh, opposite uh, Lao Ka Wing. Lao Ka Wing is the uh, brother of uh, the late uh, Lao Ka Leung. And the entire movie is Chinese spear versus broadsword. And it, in my opinion, it's Sammo Hung kind of at the peak of his prowess. And he's unbelievable. Him and Lao Kar Wing, the choreography that they come up with with these weapons is amazing. And it's kind of funny. The, the story is very simple. This old spear master and old sword master, they meet at the top of a hill every like three years or something like that. And they have a challenge fight to see which one is better, spear or broadsword. And every three years they have a battle and they always battle to a draw. Right. And so they, they're not able to like figure out which one is better. And the problem is now they're getting old. And these old guys are played by Sammo Hung and Lao Kar Wing and they're dressed up to look really old with white hair and moles and stuff, right? So they decide now they're too old to continue doing this challenge. So they're each going to teach a student and then <coughs> their students will challenge each other and then continue this contest between broadsword and spear. And then their students are played by Sammo Hung and Lao Kar Wing. They're playing like <laughs> double roles. But it's like... You know, the old Sammo Hung teaches the young Lao Kar Wing and the old Lao Kar Wing teaches the young Sammo oh, okay, Hung. Okay. And, and then so, which means, and the thing that people don't realize, it means that both actors have the skills with both weapons at a high level. Because it's not like Sammo only uses the sword. Right, right, he right. also has to play the role of the guy who's learning the spear. And when you see Sammo Hung and Lao Kar Wing use the sword and spear in The Odd Couple, I can tell you there's fewer films in Chinese Kung Fu cinema that have a higher level of choreography than these two. Go to Amazon Prime and watch Odd Couple. It's unbelievable. The story gets a little, you know, a little Chinese humor can be a little weird for Westerners to take. And it's also 40 year old Chinese humor. So you can kind of kind of sit through those bits a little bit. But the fighting is off the walls. Now, the movie you're talking about is called Heroes of the East. And that's the first Shaw Brothers movie I ever saw where uh, Gordon Liu from Master Killer, in one of the few roles where he has hair, he's kind of uh, forced to marry a Japanese woman because of a family arrangement. And she practices Japanese martial arts, and he practices Chinese martial arts. And they get married. She's very proud of her Japanese <laughs> martial arts. And they start battling it out to see what's better, Chinese or Japanese martial arts. And they fight barehanded, fist fighting, weapons, everything. Eventually... 
She gets mad at him and leaves, and then he writes a letter, and all the Japanese martial artists come to challenge him. Basically, the entire movie is a cheap setup to just have Chinese and Japanese styles fight for almost an entire hour and a half. Right. And every day he has to take a different challenge from the Tonfa guy, the nunchuck guy, the spear guy. And it is like from top to bottom, one of the most entertaining Shaw Brothers films, one of the best Lao Karlang movies, and one of the few Shaw Brothers films that does not have a single death in it. So it's absolutely awesome. It's called Heroes of the East. So Odd Couple and Heroes of the East, two absolute golden recommendations for you guys if you're into Kung Fu weapon movies. That's awesome. I remember that movie that with the, the married yeah. couple. I remember thinking like that was yeah. the coolest They showed shit. those on Saturdays on Black Belt Theater in, in New York back in the day. That was literally the first Shaw Brothers film I ever saw, and I fell in love with it. Well, I'm sure that's when I saw it. I mean, you know, I... I, yeah. I never rented them or bought them, really, right. other than one or two, like, you know. But I, I remember that movie, like, really, like, digging on that movie. I thought that was... And and the, the bad guy that Lau Kar, uh, uh, that uh, Gordon Liu fights at the end, the Japanese fighter Yasuaki Kurata, he is one of the only Japanese guys to ever have a regular career in Hong Kong. And he uh, also has a karate dojo in Hong Kong. Oh, wow. And and, uh, he knew Bruce Lee. He's got photos of him with Bruce Lee. And anyway, he's the villain in Heroes of the East. And I met him a few years ago with my student, Ethan, when we were in Hong Kong. And I was like, you know, he's literally the guy in the first kung fu movie I ever saw after Enter the Dragon. And that movie is the reason why I fell in love with kung fu. And I go up to him and I was like you know, Karate Sensei, like, I just want to tell you, like, Heroes of the East is one of my favorite movies, and if not for that movie, I probably would not be doing what I'm doing for a living, and, like, please accept my banner, and I gave him a city Wing Chun banner for my school for him to hang in his dojo, which he hung in his dojo, which is, like, ah, amazing, and, like, he just looked at me, and he was so humble and so sweet, and he was just like, oh, like, oh, that means so much to me that you enjoyed that film when you were a boy. And, like, thank you so much for co- – like, it was, like – it was so unbelievable. Nice. It was really so nice. – the polar opposite of meeting Jean-Claude Van Damme. Right, right, right. Sure. <laughs> it was really great. And so Yasuaki Karada <clears throat> is, like, an absolute sweetheart. And I just love that guy and ho- hope to have a chance to see him again. That's awesome. So, that's awesome. Yeah. That's – Awesome. Uh, well – You know, it was a great episode. I think on that note, that's a good place to end it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, I, I, I had a lot of fun, and uh, again, shout out to uh, our man Cruz, and uh, you know, I hope everybody has a great weekend. All right, yeah, we have the long Memorial uh, Day weekend, and uh, so hopefully this podcast will hit at some point at that uh, while you guys are on vacation, and hope you guys enjoy it, and we'll uh, see you next time. Very good. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. 
Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!